And it's Steve Tasker who has been all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual role player for you. Steve. A balloon. Steve. A blimp. We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. All right, let's go here. It's Tuesday. Come on. <laughs> you sounded enthusiastic, but your eyes are dead. <laughs> My eyes are dead. <laughs> it's a Tuesday, and it's the longest day of the calendar year. It and is. It's going to be long, the summer solstice. Daylight. I'm going to catch some golf later in the day. I might and I'm going to have plenty of dip time in the to pool. do it. And yeah, and once again, we're, as we te- we're going to be telling you that all this week and probably next week, the place is completely vacant over here at One Bills Drive. Um, lots going on, though, in the in the football world. And I, we may as well get right into it. This is One Bills Live, but my gosh, the Cleveland Browns are like just, I don't know what to say, just exploding all over the NFL right now. Uh, Deshaun Watson settling a ton of his cases today, 20 of them to be exact. Obviously, for those of us who have been keeping up with it, uh, that's not all of them. Not all of them. Uh, so he's got all those settled. And, and uh, also, it came out just after we got off the air yesterday. Yeah. Uh, this on the heels of the stellar offseason the Browns have had. They're just going to cash in on it and say, listen, we need $600 million for our new dome stadium here in the city. Yeah, we'll get into their the report out of the Cleveland Plain Dealer over the weekend front page story in Sunday's Cleveland Plain Dealer that the Browns are interested in building a 1 billion dollar publicly financed dome stadium on the lake there, replacing we'll get, replacing a stadium that's 28 or so years younger than the one the Bills yeah. are playing in. So uh We'll get to that in short order, but we begin with what Steve mentioned already. Deshaun Watson has settled 20 of his 24 lawsuits, all of which allege sexual misconduct during massage sessions. And in a statement, the attorney for the plaintiffs in the cases against Watson, Tony Busby, said, Today I announced that all cases against Deshaun Deshaun Watson, with the exception of four, have settled. We're working through the paperwork related to those settlements. Once we have done so, those particular cases will be dismissed. The terms and amounts of those settlements are confidential. We won't comment further on the settlements or those cases. Now, there are still four outstanding, and it looks as though those are going to be heard in court. Uh, None of these cases are set to begin until next March. So it was actually asked of the attorney, Busby, if Ashley Solis, who was the first plaintiff to file a suit against Watson, was one of the 20 uh, aforementioned settlements, and he said no. Her case has not been settled. It looks like she's taking her case to court, in fact. NFL spokesperson Brian McCarthy had the most important statement as it pertains to Deshaun Watson and playing in the near future, and he said in a statement, today's development has no impact on the collectively bargained disciplinary process, which basically means even though these cases have all settled, they bear no they have no bearing on what the league ultimately decides based on their own independent investigation so that's where we are um for me you got to start with the uh, the victims um if they're satisfied okay i'm i'm fine i'm i'm good with it i'm glad that they're satisfied certainly it doesn't make it go away but if they've got some uh form of recompense that they they are happy with and satisfied with i'm with them 
That's good. Um, I'm glad. I'm also with the league. You, you got responsibilities when you work for a, a, a company. And those larger responsibilities were absolutely dismissed by Deshaun Watson. They, were, they blew up and he didn't care. He totally, totally shirked those responsibilities by putting the, giving the league a black eye as he has. Uh, he absolutely punched him in the face uh, for the last 18 months, not only with his accusations about the team he was playing for at the time, but also with his own uh, personal conduct that dragged the name of the NFL through the mud with him uh, up until today and, and continuing on through these other cases that are just as important as the ones he, saw, he settled. Um, the, league is, I, I, the league will not bat an eye. I mean, is it, yes, it's better, but he's still got four with two others pending to deal with four cases with two others that have been reported that they're doing paperwork to yeah, get those on filed way. on the way. You get six. That's a half a dozen. He's still got that alone. And two who, years ago would have been, you know, and who knows egregious. if others surface. I mean, it, yeah. we saw the New York Times report that said he had massage appointments with 66 different women over a 17 month period. There are others out there. Who knows if they were alleged victims as well? Yeah. So, so there's still several layers to and this. And he's let's, – let's face it. I mean, this is uh, – Deshaun Watson in this case is a, is a lot like Michael Vick in dogfighting. It's a little like, like Ben Roethlisberger and the charges that were leveled against him. Uh, you just never – you never walk away from those. It's going to – it's going to dog it, – it's going to trail him for the remainder of his – not only football career, but from the remainder of his uh, of his life, yeah, he will not ever shake this, yeah, despite so, what happened today. So that's where that is at, and where it goes from here is up to the league. And all the reports were indicating that the league, which conducted the bulk of its investigation just last month in May, including interviewing Watson one on one, it's anticipated and has been widely reported that the league will hand down discipline before training camps open in about five weeks. So we're nearing the point where the league will make a statement on this and levy a punishment or discipline of some kind. What that is, we can only speculate, but most people believe it's going to be at least a year, possibly longer. We'll see if that is in fact the case. It's interesting too, and I see the the logic behind it. There's some people who have been who've seen that and say, "Hey, the, they're going to suspend him for an, for the year for the 2022 season." I I get that, and I also get the fact that some people are viewing that as they're going to try to, and they're going to start high, and and whether the NFLPA comes in and says you can't do all of that and fight for it or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I'm with you though. Um, it should be worded accordingly at least the 2022 season or the 2022 season after which he can re- apply for reinstatement mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, because they, there's no reason for them to hurry up. Yeah. Leave it open-ended because you don't know what else is coming down the road here. He's, he's going to start again. They're going to be going through this in March unless the rest of these cases go away. Yeah. And more could surface. 
as we mentioned. That's, there's always that possibility, too. Speaking of court cases, the attorney for Washington Commander's owner, Daniel Snyder, reiterated Monday after we were off the air that Snyder would not testify before Congress tomorrow, even remotely, despite a request from the committee to reconsider his initial refusal to testify. Uh, Karen Patton Seymour, who is Snyder's attorney, declined the initial invitation from the House Oversight Committee, basically claiming that Snyder had a longstanding commanders-related business conflict and is out of the country at the end of June. Also requested copies of documents that committee members intend to use in their questioning. So basically, Snyder's attorney is like, well, what are you going to be asking him? I want to see that. No word on whether the House Oversight Committee obliged in that situation. Assuming I'm assuming they didn't because Snyder is not even going to testify. So why should you tell him what you're going to ask him? Um, a House Oversight Committee spokesperson told ESPN in a statement, quote, if Mr. Snyder was truly committed to cooperating with the committee's investigation, he would have accepted the committee's invitation to testify about the commander's to- toxic workplace culture. As the chairwoman's letter made clear, the committee has been more than accommodating, even allowing Mr. Snyder to testify remotely from France. His refusal to testify sends an unmistakable signal that Mr. Snyder has something to hide and is afraid of coming clean to the American public and addressing major worker protection concerns facing the NFL. The committee will not be deterred in its investigation to uncover the truth of workplace misconduct at the Washington Commanders, end quote. We should mention that Commissioner Roger Goodell is scheduled to testify remotely to the House Oversight Committee tomorrow. So no Snyder, no surprise. Here's what it looks like, obviously. Uh, Snyder and his lawyers or himself, whoever, um, they think it's better, and, and this says a lot, they think it's better for him to look like he's hiding something than to have anything come out. It's better to look like you're hiding a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, because than what he's hiding is worse. Exactly. I'm, I would rather look like I've got everything to lose than to have you find out the truth. Yeah. So you can let your my imagination run wild and decide what you think. And as, as we have said on this show, at the May owners meetings, there was reportedly a straw poll taken among the other 31 owners to see if they had enough votes to vote him out. Because this is... This is just another black mark in a series of infractions and let's just say poor optics for the league at large based on what Snyder has done or failed to do. Well, yeah, and it comes down also it comes down to the financial handling of his of his franchise and tickets. Cooking the books allegedly as well, yeah. Um, And if you know, and I know there's a, a ton of people out there who are a little bit cynical about the NFL and the ownership and how those guys operate up there. And they're always saying, well, it's all about the money. Well, if it's all about the money, um, this is an excuse. Uh, If he's cooking the books against other guys who are penny pinchers and, and, you know, bean counters. Watch how quickly billionaires react. Exactly. So start messing um, with their money. If, if they don't vote him out or if they don't take action of some substantive nature uh, in the face of what looks like him, as we're calling it, cooking the books, there's another reason why he's still in, in, a, in, in his position. Yeah. And, and it may be important to the other owners. Yeah. 
It's difficult to say. Meanwhile, he's trying to get himself a new stadium deal and buying land in Virginia. And that's kind of stalled now with these proceedings taking place on Capitol Hill. And let's not forget, his franchise is already fined $10 million by the league. So it's just, a, it's just another step in a pretty embarrassing series of events for they this were, franchise. They were found to have some pretty egregious violations, no doubt about it. They removed Daniel Snyder from the day-to-day operations of the Washington Commanders, and they fined him $10 million. I don't know that there's been any owner treated that yeah. rough. It, right? It's not good, and it's not getting better, and I think that I mean, even Robert, patience is wearing thin with the rest of the NFL ownership. Because, uh, Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick and the spy gate and the deflate gate and the, the filming of other teams' practices, uh, stealing signals, all, all that was like a first-round draft pick, yep. uh, half, a million, get, dollars yeah, half a million dollars or a million dollars here. $10 bucks And a four-game suspension for Brady. It, that, yeah. That's not $10 million bucks and lose and getting out of the building. I don't know where it goes, but I think patience has worn thin with the rest of the NFL ownership with Snyder. Uh, it's as wayward as a franchise can get. They look, they seem rudderless at times. I know there's a lot of good people in that front office trying to do right by the organization, including Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera is a yeah, he's he's but then a you solid. Have Jack Del Rio spouting off and getting fined a hundred grand by his head coach because you know he gets all political. It's just. Ugh. The whole thing is, it just looks like a, a tire fire down there. It's just, At a, times, it's pretty ugly. Um, it's pretty ugly. But I, another thing that comes up, okay, so they do, a, what, what's going to happen, Brian? They do a straw poll to see if, you know, they're not going to have Dan Schneider. Okay. Yeah, you need 24 votes. Well, there's a very short list of candidates that are up for buying a team. Yeah. The next person, the next name on the list, or the next couple of names on that list may be a step down. Because they know who those people are. There's only oh, yeah. a short list. They have to get well, approved they just had a list. to even bid. They just had a list that they exactly. put together for the Broncos. Exactly. So that would be on the minds of all these owners and saying, listen, if we, if we sell this team now, this person is going to get it. It's in the top ten market. I mean, I mean this person's going to get it. There, no way. Let's keep let's keep Schneider and, and roll with this and try and make smooth this over. Because now at least we don't. At least he's learned some lessons that we don't have to teach him again. Has he though? You know. Well, I don't know. That's a good point. But at least let's what, let somebody enter the ownership bidding pool that will yeah. keep this other person from getting it. Now, usually you probably wouldn't get cleared if you're an, an unsavory. Like you know, for, I'm, I'm exaggerating to make a point. What if it's a Saudi prince? You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I just think the the commodity that is a professional sports team at a time like this, people are paying upwards of five billion dollars. The English Premier League team that was previously owned by a Russian oligarch, Abramovich, he had to sell because of the war torn nature of the country and everything. He had to sell his club, which is based in London. It just sold to an American buyer for $5.4 billion, okay? We know what the Broncos sold for, $4.65 billion. 
Why? A number of reasons. They always finish in the black. They turn a profit of anywhere from 10 to 14 percent. And they're essentially recession proof. And what are we diving into by this time next year? A recession. So they, if there are people with billions out there and there are more billionaires now in the world than there were 10 years ago, they can find buyers pretty easily yeah. for an NFL franchise. But, and to find somebody that you're worried about being worse of a human being than Daniel Snyder, I think you have to be pretty hard-pressed to find him. That's a short list, too. <laughs> but nevertheless, all, we don't, I don't know the, the, the mindset or the, the frame of mind you know, that the league is in or that the owners are in, each and every one. In, there are 32 of them, and they're all different, obviously. They, they run the same kind of business in the same cities, in different cities, but the same business in different cities under the same umbrella. But every franchise is unique. So there's no getting in their minds as to why a straw poll would go one way or the other for or against any owner no. in the room. We, there's probably some owners that are despised and nobody knows has any reason why, you know. So, uh, but there's some who are who are fixtures uh, that are probably under the radar for most of us. So. How things work at the upper echelon, we're never we're too far away. Yeah. You know, we're never going to know. Uh, but no question, we do get a glimpse once in a while when things like this happen and an owner goes under the microscope and either refuses or opens himself up to the criticism yeah. or the scrutiny. A quick uh, free agent note, former Bengals defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi had seven sacks last season for the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals, visiting today with the Pittsburgh Steelers. According to sources, he recently visited with the New York Jets as well. Steelers in need of defensive line help after the surprise retirement of 30-year-old Stefan Tuitt and the fact that Tyson Alualu, the starter and nose tackle last year, is 35 years old. Starting defensive end Cameron Hayward is going to turn 34 before the calendar year is out. They need reinforcements up front. Wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers don't let him leave the building and add him to their roster. Now, to the other thing that we mentioned about the Browns earlier, the Cleveland Browns reportedly want a new $1 billion stadium that is expected to be publicly funded. They do want a dome. So apparently well, this leaked somehow. Well, hold on a minute. That's, it, they, apparently uh, it's on the table. But they're first and foremost, they, they did a feasibility studies and all that about a dome stadium. Right. But they're also doing feasibility studies. They're starting with re- renovating the current stadium. Right. And then on the table as well, and obviously in the future, they're looking at, okay, where can we put a dome stadium? And if we get it, how much is it going to be? So having coming out and formally asked for this, no, but um, certainly they're doing some research on it. Uh, And it couldn't have leaked at a worse time for the Browns. The results of the feasibility studies are expected sometime in 2023. And as Steve mentioned, they do focus primarily on renovating the current stadium but they could not refute whether plans might eventually include rebuilding from scratch or moving to a new location. So I would imagine that some of the feasibility studies, Steve, would deal with, A, is the current stadium dome compatible based on how it was built? You know, was it, was, were the upper, yeah. was the upper rim of the stadium built properly to support a dome? I don't know. I got to. I got to say, so, probably not. Probably not. But so, I, that doesn't stop them from building over the top of it if they want. I. 
Yeah. The, the spot where the stadium is now is in a, actually a very nice spot as compared to downtown. The problem with the and, – and Buffalo fans know this. You've been down there. Cleveland's you know kind of a sister city, and we've had Cleveland Brown days in the stadium. Um, you've been down there. But the problem with their stadium is this, and you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about if those of you have been down there. Brownie, you know what I'm talking about. You can't get from downtown to the stadium, and it's like 300 yards away because there's 19 – 19 throughways, byways, highways between downtown and the 300 yards to the stadium. It's nothing but paved highway. It's faster to walk. It, That's what I do. Oh, absolutely. So you, but walking is. I mean, if you're it's its, downtown, own, it's its own trek. Well, yeah, but if you're downtown at a hotel for the game. It's conceivably faster to walk there than to try to take any kind of car and find a you parking spot. You can't get down there, man. Right, here's the thing. And, that, and here's can. part, of the, re- part of the renovations consuming. and the refurbishments are they're going to extend a, you know, a walkway over all that pavement down to the stadium so you can get there. Because yeah. right now, you know, you've got to kind of weave your way between all those throughways. And that's, that's going to require more investment in infrastructure. Right. So, Right. You know, you got to decide what and, you want to do and where you want to spend your money. But even if they do, uh, by doing so, there's loads and loads. I don't know. There was a number in the article that we both read of acreage down there available, like yep. 70 acres down there available. If they could, you know, and do, a, you know, all of us want restaurants, bars, you know, water parks, you know, all that, you know, all the fun stuff, you know, restaurants and nightlife. Um Boutiques, coffee shops, everything, you know, residences as well. So all that could be down there and pull attention down to the front of the water where you could, you know, for, in, for instance, like Baltimore's Inner Harbor. Uh, a, phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal story in urban reclamation. So the current stadium, which was built in 1999, cost $283 million, largely funded by city bonds that were backed by the county's sin tax on alcohol and cigarette purchases, a portion of that tax expires in 2035 that is used to pay for capital or emergency repairs to the stadium. So that's going to dry up in, you know, 12, 13 years. And you would think by then plans for some kind of new stadium will already be hammered out and ready to go. But here's the issue. Because <laughs> when we first got wind of this, Steve and I look at each other and we're like, now? We're, the, oh. the timing is good now for this. Now, clearly it isn't. And I think the Browns knew that and we're happy to sit on it and just do feasibility studies in the background, you know, but this leaked. Somebody came. Somebody, now it's out. Somebody got a little thread so, and started pulling on the thread. I, I got to tell you, it's an impressive offseason competition here between the Washington Commanders and the Cleveland Browns as to who can do more wrong more often. It's astounding yeah. to me. It is it, and I'll say that what, a, that a member are, club <laughs> that something. a member club of a league like this can do Listen, so many things so poorly, not just so often, not just member the the Cleveland Browns and the Washington Commanders, who used to be the other the other team. That's I right. mean, it's two historic franchises, one of which has won multiple Super Bowls, and they. They are, and they are, you're right, it's a race to see who can fall over themselves the worst this offseason, and they are neck and neck coming down the stretch. And I don't see Cleveland, based on what the rest of the article suggested, I don't see how Cleveland comes up with the money as a city. 
as a municipality. I don't see how they well, come up with the money that the Browns are undoubtedly going to be asking for. They're talking about how they already have a billion-dollar plan in place to renovate their entire court system, courthouses, city courts. They're in bad need of upgrades and renovations, and it's going to cost upwards of a billion dollars. They may even move and rebuild some court buildings. I mean, you're going to put the Browns in front of that? Like, I don't think so. So I don't know. They could do all the feasibility studies they want. They may come to the city of Cleveland and be like, yeah, we're going to need about $500 million from you guys to help us get this thing built. And they're going to be like, I'm, I'm, we don't have it. Yeah. Sorry. Like, we, we, get, we don't have it to give to you. Right. Exactly. That's um, – it's, it's a mess. Uh, and be, Ohio is not New York. No. Um, the New York – because uh, – I read an article. Um, you can uh, don't quote me on this. I'm because I'm I'm probably got this all wrong. But over the course, and this is also going to be paid. You know, the bills nut is going to be paid over. You know, it's 2026, and this 600 or 800 million that the bills are getting, it equates to like 37 bucks per resident in New York State total. And for Erie County residents, obviously, it's just shy of $300 per resident over a couple of years, over the next four years. That's what the total nut, because of all the people we have here in New York. That's not Ohio. And if you've looked at the numbers on the New York state budget, and I don't want to make light of it because it's awesome. That the because for you and me especially, I mean, good grief. Yeah. We we work here, so we're we've got skin in this game to a certain extent. Um, it's awesome for us, but New York is is a state that has notoriously been free with that kind of thing. Syracuse University, Mets, the Mets, the Yankees, um, they all received money like that. Yeah. Not to the tune that the Bills are, but Not it was the, you know it was in the past. The same level, it was also yeah. at the same Islanders. Yeah. So all the, so it's a thing here in New York. I mean, they don't bat an eye. Now in California, they don't do it at all ever. So, it, it, and my point is, Ohio is not New York. It may want to be, or it may want to be like what? Who else uh, would it be? Like California? No, I don't think so. Dallas. Yeah. Philly? It's it's it's. It's going to be rough. But I, I'm surprised because I f- still feel like Cleveland Stadium's new. Well, in comparison to the Bill Stadium, it, it is. It's 24 years old, 23 years old. So Yeah, the Bill, the Bill Stadium is older now than, it was, than the rock pile was when they moved out. Yeah. And the Washington Commander Stadium was built in 2000. Now, he built it on the cheap. So, because, I mean, if you've ever been in that building, it's nothing to write home about. Right. For a stadium built in this century leaves a lot to be desired. Right. But now he's campaigning for a new stadium to be built in Virginia somewhere. He has been for a while. Yeah. A long while. But apparently he's got some Virginia politician in his pocket and things are moving af- moving forward, I think, at a snail's pace now within light of this stuff on Capitol Hill with him. But, my God, it's just those two franchises, man. The only team that comes close to top of them are the Dolphins. Stephen Ross, baby. What else you got in your pocket? <laughs> well, we had Armando Salguero on yesterday, Good and he, he absolutely said 100% they were offering Tom Brady part ownership and threw a checkbook at Sean Payton. Yeah. And Brady to be the quarterback. 
and for Brady to come in, not only as part owner, but, but as player I part to owner. to you, and we didn't bring this up with Armando yesterday, how does Peyton sign up for that? Like, your quarterback is the part owner. Hey, we, uh, we're throwing the post corner here. No, we're not. No, I don't think so. I'm the part owner, and I'm going to call the shots here. Uh, uh, amazing, not amazingly, but uh, predictably for a smart guy like Sean Payton, he didn't sign up for that. Exactly. Well, yeah. The Brian Flores lawsuit was basically the TNT that blew all that up, which included yeah. allegations of Stephen Ross incentivizing losing on purpose to get a right. higher draft choice. Right. So, whatever. Uh, Twitter topic today. This is a good one because I think there is different ways to plot your path through the AFC and truly assess where the Bills are at. But does do the Bills having a premium paid quarterback – and wide receiver put the Bills ahead of their AFC counterparts. The Chiefs threw their number one receiver overboard. We know that the Packers did the same thing in the NFC. So are the Bills a leg up on the rest of their AFC counterparts because they have a premium paid QB and a premium paid number one wide receiver? Let us know. 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board, or hit us up on the tweet sheet at one Bills live we have to take a break here but we'll be back with your phone calls and your tweets along with a lot more on the nfl docket here on one bills live presented by collider health it's buffalo bills radio all right welcome back to one bills live chris brown steve tasker with you we want to remind you that Coming up in the second hour of the show will be one Brad Spielberger, who's a pro football focus salary cap analyst. He'll be joining us as uh, we kind of take a look not only at how the Bills are looking for this year, but the construction of the roster uh, as it pertains to salary cap as well over the last few years. So that'll be a good conversation in hour number two. Want to get to the tweet sheet as we discuss with you, does having a premium paid quarterback and wide receiver put the Bills ahead of their AFC counterparts? And we lead off with Jeremy, who says it does for the fact that these two are two of the best at their positions and complement each other well. Tyreek is great, but don't think he will have the success Diggs will have in Buffalo. So he's kind of looking at where Tyreek landed and doesn't see the Dolphins making hay there. So a leg up on the Dolphins, even with the addition of Tyreek Hill, and I would tend to agree. But the real interesting part of this whole discussion, Steve, is the Bills decided, even when they had to level up Stephon Diggs' contract to be more in line with the current market after Tyreek Hill and the Dolphins blew it up with the trade with the Chiefs, they said, hey, just because we've got our quarterback on his second deal and is making $43 million a year, we're still going to hang on to Diggs and pay him his due money as well. There are other teams in the league that decided not to do that. The Green Bay Packers were one who said, we're going to pay Rodgers, but we're getting rid of Adams. And then you got the Chiefs who said, we're not paying Tyreek Hill $30 million a year when we got a quarterback on a half-a-billion-dollar contract. And so they parted ways with their number one wide receiver. The Bills chose to keep theirs. How much does it help them? Um, I think it does help them. No question. Good players make you better. And these are two players that have proven that it's not about the money for them. They want to keep playing and playing at a high level, and they're doing what it takes to stay there 
um, at the elite level. That's, that's what you want your players to do, and you want other players on your team to strive for that. Um, one of the things that the Bills have done to keep a guy like Steph Diggs happy, they got him, and, and everybody was nobody took me seriously when I said when they traded for Diggs, he was making eleven million a year, and everybody said, everybody said, well, he'll never be. He was happy with that because the Bills started guaranteeing it for him. They started giving it to him ahead of the contract. They started paying him a little bit more as it went along to keep him happy in his contract. It's not about giving him a new contract. It's about giving him the money now when they're playing well. The Bills have handled this great, and Steph Diggs was kept happy by the club's willingness to pay him money now. And so, and the money they got him for in that trade was dirt cheap even then. He had just signed a four-year, five-year deal for 11 or $12 million a year that escalated as it went along. It's like a five-year deal, and he was like in year two. That was a perfect deal, and the stuff they gave up for him, man, who cares? They got a cheap, elite, a cheap elite wide receiver. Yeah, the Bills got a leg up, particularly the way they've handled it since they got him. Right, but... They did have to make the decision this year, this offseason, after the Tyreek Hill trade happened and he got $30 million a year, they had, to bring, they had to make a decision. Are we going to bring Stephon Diggs' contract up to closer to market level, or are we just going to sit on it at the risk of him being disgruntled and maybe we have to move on from him? They said, no, we're going to pay him. And that included a $21.5 million signing bonus, $50 million in fully guaranteed money, on a new deal that totaled about $95 million. So... They stepped up and paid him when a couple other teams chose not to. Now, I think you could argue that the Raiders have a quote-unquote franchise quarterback, although most people would not consider him top tier at all, in Derek Carr, and they chose to trade and pay a number one wide receiver in Devontae Adams, his college teammate. Um, and, you know, you, you look around the league, Russell Wilson traded for him, Denver did, but they don't have any of their top receivers on their second contract yet. Right. What happens when that comes to fruition? And then you can look at the Chargers. Yeah, they just paid Mike Williams $20 million a year on an extension, and they still have Keenan Allen, who they're paying top dollar as well, but they still got Justin Herbert on a rookie contract. What happens when his second contract right. comes up? They're going to still have two of those guys? Probably right. not. That's right. You look at around, there's not, there's not that many teams who are sitting here um, in the situation the Bills are at, Matt Ryan and Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman's on a rookie contract. Um, Tua and Tyreek, Tua's on a rookie contract. Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, the elite receiver. Jalen Hurts on a rookie contract. Uh, Allen Robinson and Matt Stafford. There's two, you know, a veteran and a veteran, but they're brand new together. Um, but as, as you could see from the philosophy Well, they paid the Cooper Cup, though. That's right. This offseason. That's right. So, they, so they, they're they like the Bills. You, you, could, you could see that coming a mile away. The Rams don't shy away from paying anybody. And what it comes down to is that when you – the Bills have been able to pick really good players in drafts, a lot of them anyway. They, they don't bat a 1,000, but nobody does. And they found guys who have actually developed as well, developed – and become really good players, Matt Milano types, who are fifth rounder, who all of a sudden's been a four year starter, and he hasn't, he does never leaves the field, right? They paid him. Uh, that's what it comes down to. You got to have an owner that's willing to say, all right, all if the guy 
came in and did everything we asked him to and played at the level we hoped he could play. Didn't know he could play, but we hoped he could play at. And he's done it. And then some. We're obligated to pay that guy and keep him around. Let's go to the phones at 803-0550-1-888-550-2550. Going to need some help back in the control room as our uh, assist pro is down here in the studio. But Mark in West Seneca, let's bring him up if we could. Mark, you're on One Bills Live. What do you have for us? Hey, guys. How are you? Good. All right. Good. That's good. The dog days of summer before the real bullets start to fly. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I just wanted to chime in about Tyreek and, and about Tua. Um, I really think that, you know, when you look at it on face value, you say, oh, my goodness, uh, we're going to have a tougher time than we have in a long time in Miami. But I think Tua is going to show early on in the season that he can't get the ball deep to to uh, Tyreek. He just can't. His, he'll throw it out there, but ball's going to hang up. And when you, I mean, I know Tyreek's fast. Let's say he runs, I don't know the numbers exactly, but say he runs a 4-3. Everybody in the, in the NFL is fast. So he's going up against a guy that's running a 4-3-5 or a 4-3-6, and he uses that 4-3 to get a step on a guy. The guy that's running slower than him, he's not that far away. And if that ball hangs... That's going to take a lot of that deep passing game away. And if Tyree gets that taken away from him and defenses start sitting on him with the short routes and the, the intermediate routes, he's going to have a real tough time. I think he's going to – and it's not going to be anywhere near as scary as it was when he was in KC where he had a quarterback who could throw the ball to him out of the pocket, off platform, and get it anywhere on the field. That's what made him so scary. That speed is scary, but when you got a guy who can get it to him anywhere on the field at any split second, that's not Tua. That's not Tua. So, it, it, you know, we can be afraid of them a little bit, but I'm not scared of them. I, think, I, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, I think your last point is probably your most important one, which was that Patrick Mahomes could not only get it to him anywhere on the field, he could extend a play to a point where covering Tyreek Hill becomes impossible. Once you get past three and a half seconds, most people have already lost Tyreek Hill because of his elite speed. And then if you have the arm strength to get it to wherever he is on the field, yeah, that's Patrick Mahomes. Tua Tonga-Vailoa does not extend plays. He is drop back, stick his foot in the ground, fire the ball out. I mean, maybe he shuffles a little bit in the pocket, but he's not rolling out a whole lot. I'm not saying he's not mobile, but extending the play and making plays off script is not his M.O. And so if you're, gonna, if you're the Dolphins and you're going to maximize what Tyreek Hill can be in your offense, you better get the ball to him off three-step drops and let him do the work after the catch. That's how you're going to make him an effective player. It's not going to be throwing him, you know, nine routes all day with Tua as your quarterback. You've got to get the ball in his hands fast and hope he can do the rest with his elite speed after the catch. You're going to see some things that in Miami, you would, we anticipate, and, and we're with you, Mark. I mean, I, I anticipate st- things that I didn't see Tyreek Hill do in Kansas City. For instance, 50-50 balls. You know, him going up and battling it. He, he, he was catching the ball in his stomach down the field uh, wide open. Because uh, the ball was getting there and the play was extended, and he, guys lose him. Didn't know where he was. He just lets and um, 
Mahomes just turns it loose. You know, Tyreek ends up standing in the middle of the space all by himself. You never see or have seen Tyreek Hill have to go up and battle for a catch. You know, he's just that open. Um, that may change with a quarterback who takes a little extra to get it there. Uh, or a ball that takes a little extra time to get there, because as Mark pointed out, you know you're not you don't the Chiefs won't and the Miami Dolphins won't be playing in a vacuum. They're going to be out there with some pretty good players week in week out who can cover some ground. And if the ball takes an extra half second to get there, that's a lot of ground when an NFL player is running full speed. So um, that's something that I'm going to keep an eye on as well. How many 50-50 balls and what kind of ball skills Tyreek Hill displays because I'm thinking it's going to be much more difficult for him to have the kind of open catches that he enjoyed as a chief yeah. with Mahomes extending plays and throwing it to him after he has broken off the route. Yeah. So the bottom line for me is this. The Chiefs have been the stumbling block for the Bills each of the last two years in the postseason. They kept their number one wide out despite having a high-priced franchise quarterback. The Chiefs chose not to. I think it gives the Bills a leg up on the Chiefs. I know they reloaded with Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster, and you know they drafted Sky Moore. That's all well and good. But none of them are Tyreek in terms of the dimension that he brings to a football field. And so I think it does give the Bills a leg up that they, have their, they still have their number one guy and their franchise signal caller. We will take a break here, but when we come back, more of your comments on the tweet sheet. Does having a premium paid QB and wide receiver one put the Bills ahead of their AFC counterparts, like the Chiefs, who threw theirs overboard? Or even the Packers in the NFC. They got rid of Devontae Adams, kept Aaron Rodgers, but not both. How much does that put Bills in prime position to make a long, deep run this postseason? Back in a moment here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live as we close out hour number one. And we are going back to the tweet sheet, which I should mention is brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. JT, when asked, is having a premium paid quarterback and a premium paid wide receiver put the Bills ahead of their AFC counterparts? JT says 17 and 14 have one of the best chemistry on-field chemistry in the NFL. Allen can just fling it up there. He knows Diggs will go up and contend for the ball. The Finns got Hill and Tua. I call him Tuna. Ha! And Tua is not Josh. The Pats don't have a true number one wide receiver, and the Jets are the Jets. What can we say? So JT looked at it from a division perspective. I don't even think that's a question. Although if you want to argue that Miami's closed the gap some, I, I could go no along. With, I could go along with that. Tyreek is a really good player. I mean, but I'm looking at say? I'm looking at the AFC here now. If there's one receiving core that I think is still superior to that of the Bills in the AFC, it is the Bengals. I mean, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, one of the best slot guys, and um, T. T. Higgins. So they're probably better, one, two, three, than the Bills and a lot of other teams. They're more uh, proven, certainly, uh, because, you of, can make an because art- of Gabe Davis being yeah. elevated and then – Jamison Crowder coming over from the Jets, although he's got some chops. Yeah. And so do the other guys behind him. I mean, we, we talked about it yesterday. The Bills have got 
some pretty good slot receivers waiting to get on the field. Uh, but on the outside, maybe not so many. Just Gabe Davis and Steph Diggs. And behind them, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the Chargers, I think, 1-2 have a more proven top tandem than the Bills because you got Mike Williams and Keenan Allen versus Diggs and Davis. Davis, I think, showed he can be that guy, but he doesn't have a season's worth of production to prove that because he hasn't been in the starting lineup enough. That will change this year, we all anticipate. So maybe you put them ahead of what the Bills have. But I just find it interesting that the Bills found a way to make it work when other teams like the Packers and the Chiefs just said, yeah, you know what, we're going to throw our top receiver overboard here and hope we can just kind of get back to where we want to be. And I, I think because the Bills still have the Allen Diggs combination, they got a leg up on some of these other clubs. I genuinely believe that. I think so, too. On some of the other clubs, no question. Some of the other clubs, though, you look at Derek Carr getting Devontae Adams. Right. They got better. Tua got better with Tyreek Hill. Uh, the the Colts got better with Matt Ryan coming into the fold. The Denver Broncos got markedly better uh, with Russ Wilson coming in. So even though some of these teams don't have those two guys getting paid all at the same time uh, like the Bills do, it's interesting to look around. I wonder that's, – and that's really the, the crux of the question today – is that really what makes the difference? Having the paying the right guys at the right position? Does it? The Rams it, would say yes. Is it the right guys, or is it the right positions? You know what I mean? Well, I think we can all agree there are premium positions in this league. Positions that mean more certainly than other positions. I mean, certainly the quarterback is is on that list. It's quarterback, pass rusher, and then after that, pick wide pick, receiver, wide receiver, corner. corner. Yeah, and it might it's quarterback. Wide receiver, corner, pass, pass rusher, rusher, and may then left tackle. And I mean, those are the five premium positions right now. Um, yeah. Not surprisingly, the Rams pay those guys with one exception: Aaron Donald. They pay Aaron Donald like a defensive end, even though he plays inside. I mean, he'll right. line up outside occasionally. Right, right. But he's pass rusher, but. Corner, they pay that guy, Jalen Ramsey. Quarterback, they pay that guy, Matthew Stafford. Wide receiver, they pay that guy, Cooper Cup. So yeah. they pay top dollar at the five most premium positions. Now, they just lost Whitworth to retirement, so left tackle yeah. is a bit of a thing for them. But the other four premium positions, they have a premium right. guy that they pay premium money. You can always give a left tackle help when you get into a situation where he can't hold up. Uh, but even we've had this conversation a lot too. You know, your offensive lineman, you can help whichever one is the weak link up to a certain point. Um, and, the, and the Rams will do that. They'll chip with a running back to give the guy an edge. They'll put a tight end over there to hit the guy before he goes out. Um, all of the things you can do um, to help him. So that's of the five, that's probably the one that I've got at the bottom of the five. But, man, oh, man, um, the Rams have made no bones about it. They pay veteran players a premium to come in and play for them. Well, and the Bills just took a page out of that book because they, they not only have paid Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen, they paid Von Miller this offseason. Tredavious White is a year and a half removed from a big contract for him. 
And they did the same with Deion Dawkins. So there it is. Left tackle, corner, wide receiver, pass rusher, quarterback. They did it with Matt Milano. They did pay Matt Milano, yes, but I would argue that that's not a premium position. They have No, it's not. They've also paid Poyer and Hyde. And now Poyer, you know, because he had such a breakout year, is kind of thinking right. he's underpaid. But, but here's the thing. They didn't pay Milano top-of-the-market money. Nope. They did not pay Poyer or Hyde top-of-the-market money. They did pay top-of-the-market money for White. They paid top-of-the-market money for Miller. They paid top-of-the-market money for Josh Allen. Deion yeah. Dawkins, they paid top-10 money for. Yeah. They paid, yeah, good money even at his position. Not top of the top of the market money. So yeah, um, you pick those spots, and I'm and there's no question that these they that coaching staffs around the league, front offices around the league, have these conversations, just like we're having it right now. Who do we got to have? The problem is this: when you got a guy who you got to have, and he's Daryl Talley, you know what I mean? Like he's a Matt Milano, a guy who's just he's a yet two linebackers. There's enough linebackers on this planet to populate 10 NFLs, but there's just no room for them in the league that, you know, it's not a premium position, but you got to have that guy. That's the problem. When you start having to pay guys that like Matt Milano, who you wouldn't dream of taking the field without, but he's he's playing it. You know, I mean, who's he? Well, they paid him, but again, I think when the deal came out, people are like, Ooh, that's a pretty good deal for the Bills. What are you going to do when you get a guy who, and it's, you know, like 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 a Taiwan Jones, you know, and it's like uh, you got to get the guy to play for as little as you can get him to play for. It's hard to do. That's when you start to when the rubber meets the road and guys start getting squeezed out. Um, the guy. Bottom line is, it's an interesting, and here's why it's an interesting conversation. The bottom line is this: you either pay the guys that produce. Or pay the guy, and also find a way to pay the guys that make the atmosphere on that team that team capable of letting those guys produce. Well, you know what I mean? But yeah, Making but the, those guys their best. The Chiefs chose to not pay one guy thirty million in the hopes that they could pay two or three guys the same amount of money collectively and get just as much, if not more. That's a decision well, not, that the Chiefs ultimately made. They said, we're not going to pay Tyreek $30 million a year, but we are going to sign Juju Smith-Schuster, and we are going to sign Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and we are going to draft Sky Moore. And we right. hope those three guys can give us every bit of production, if not more, than the guy that led our team in targets, receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns. Right. But there's also, and that's one way to do it, and I know the, Chief, the Chiefs don't care about defense. <laughs> I mean, they just, they do not care. They got a, they brought in uh, Schwartz, not Schwartz. They brought in uh, who's their defensive Steve coordinator? Spagnuolo. Yeah, Steve Spagnuolo. They brought in Spags. Spags comes a great defensive coordinator, but he's trying to make chicken salad out of chicken poop because their defensive roster was not good overall, and they jettisoned their defensive secondary was a joke. And they jettisoned those guys. So my my thought would be, if you're going to get better, don't pay thirty million to Tyreek. Sign a couple of those guys you just mentioned and get some DBs at some other and strengthen your team and other parts of your roster and not have to have a margin of error that's so narrow on the offensive side. You know, where you can't afford to even miss one drive in a game that you don't come away with points or you lose. 
you got to come away with three points or a touchdown every single drive of the game or you lose the game. That's where the Chiefs were sitting last year. They had to take the Bills to overtime and get a breakout touchdown to beat them. Yep. And they had to do it with 13 seconds. You talk about a narrow margin of error. The Chiefs cleared it. Tip your hat to them. 13 seconds, you got to get a t- you got to get a field goal from your 25. You know, and and they did. That's a margin of error. To me, spend some money where you don't have to you don't end up like that. You know, that's a that's a clear-cut case of it, but and it it makes the point. You know? I get it. I just think they chose to go budgetary and replace with numbers rather than paying him a gigantic number. We take a break here. When we come back, Brad Spielberger, salary cap expert from PFF, expands our discussion to see just what the Bills did to keep their number one wideout and their number one quarterback both on the same roster instead of throwing one overboard like the Chiefs did with Tyreek and the Pack did with Devontae Adams. Back in a moment here on One Bills Live. Tasker, who has been all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual-role player for you. Steve! Steve! A blimp? (laughs) We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. All right, here we are. Hour number two on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on Bills Live. And pleased to be joined now by Pro Football Focus salary cap analyst Brad Spielberger joining the show as recently put together a write-up on basically a three-year look at teams' cap management uh, with respect to their rosters and then put a rankings list together. Bills rank middle of the pack, Brad. Thanks for joining us, first of all. Um, We saw the Bills ranked 15th in this category, but as you pointed out and as we have been discussing on the show, the Bills were able to keep their number one wide out along with their franchise quarterback on a second contract, unlike the Chiefs and unlike the Packers, how much of a leg up do you think that gives them? Yeah, it's massive, and it's because of the smart work they've done. And I would say them ranking 15th, if you look at the other top teams in the NFL in terms of just the quality of the roster, Buccaneers, Packers, Chiefs, some of those teams you mentioned, most of them are below the bill. So them being smart, being proactive, and getting deals done early is why they have Stephon Diggs, Von Miller, and Josh Allen all on this roster. How much of a difference, and the question is, obviously, certainly you can have stars across your star-studded roster, but then all of a sudden, every place else on your roster, you're going to have some drop-off financially. You're going to have How hard is it to support the guys at those premier positions with guys who aren't that? Uh, where you've got such a disparity in talent. You've got some elite players, and everybody else uh, just got off the bus from Fresno. No, it's tough. And depth, as you guys know very well, is super important in the NFL. Injuries are an inevitability, and you also just want to be able to rotate bodies and, and get good players in there. So that leads you to you know potentially leaning out on rookies and younger players. I think Kyrie Elam out of Florida is a very good player, but you look at that cornerback room, and he's probably the number two corner from day one, which is always a risky proposition with a rookie, even a first-rounder. But they still have done a good job, I think, on the offensive line and the defensive line in particular and making sure they have some of that depth beyond just those top-end guys. What do you make, 
you know, looking at salary cap management, knowing it's what you do most of the time in terms of analyzing it, what do you make of the Chiefs' approach? I mean, I think a lot of people could understand even someone of Tyreek Hill's ability demanding $30 million a year is something people might balk at, and the Chiefs clearly did. But what do you make of their plan B, which was basically try to replace Tyreek in numbers with Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Sky Moore? You know, I think part of the conversation is you could argue the point of having a quarterback as good as Patrick Mahomes is that you can maybe save money on that receiving group, kind of like we used to talk about with Tom Brady. Before Randy Moss, it was Deion Branch and Wes Welker and, and not guys that were ever really viewed as number one wide receivers or his top options, obviously, outside of the tight end position. So I think that is a fair argument and a reasonable argument to make. It's going to be a huge loss, you know, with Tyreek Hill no longer there. Um, at the same time, you know, the Bills approach as well. Stephon Diggs is a special, special player. You went out and traded a first-round pick to get him. There's nothing against keeping him around, um, but it does, you know, it makes things tough. And, and obviously, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley no longer there. It just makes some of the other decisions across your roster a bit more difficult. Have you noticed? And I get it, if because you, your your layout here on your on your um, spreadsheet is not done this way. Have you noticed a trend in offensive and defensive payrolls when you when you break this down? Where you got offensive player, you got a ton of money being spent on offense, not so much on defense. We were ta- having a conversation about the Chiefs, where you know they got a lot of assets on offense, and their defense absolutely stunk last year. Uh, their secondary was not good. And, and they just won it with offense. Um, do you see trends like that in salary cap analysis? A hundred percent. And I think that is part of the issue of why they just felt they could not go ahead and also pay Tyreek Hill. You know, Frank Clark has kind of been a bust for them. They traded a first round pick to get him, give him a 20 million per year deal. He's since taken a pay cut and really hasn't been great for them. They need to put more resource on that side of the ball, but there definitely is a trend. Um, the bills were part of this in the early Josh Allen days. For example, right now, the Pittsburgh Steelers have the cheapest offense in the NFL and the second most expensive defense in the NFL. So, you do see kind of these ebbs and flows and I think you want to be as balanced as you can be but sometimes you know solidifying and fortifying one unit and then letting young players excel on the other can be a good approach and then what about the Rams because having won the Super Bowl you have the copycat effect that always seems to exist right after that and as Steve and I were talking about they're just going to pay the premium positions primarily um, Aaron Donald, I suppose, is an exception because he's technically a defensive tackle. But cornerback, premium position, they pay Ramsey. Quarterback, they pay Stafford. Wide receiver, they pay Cup. Maybe even Robinson, too, really, if you look at it. And then, you know, left tackle is probably the only one where they're not paying a super high premium right now after the retirement of Andrew Whitworth. So are more teams going to follow that path where you say, let's just throw a boatload of money at the premium positions and then just try to backfill the rest of it? Like you said, it is a copycat league, and I do think we will see that. We've obviously seen some of those moves already this offseason with quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, wide receivers like A.J. Brown on the move, and teams willing to give up major draft capital and top-of-market extensions as soon as they bring these guys in. So we will see that. I think the interesting thing is that I think people don't underestimate the Rams and their full comprehensive strategy is they still make a ton of draft picks. They've made eight picks every year since 2017 at least, 
because they just don't make first rounders. So we kind of forget that they actually make a ton of second through fourth round picks, which is how you get your Cooper Cups and some of those players. So I do think we'll see the copycat there. But if teams are going to both trade away picks and they're not going to trade down and do other things to stockpile young surplus value contracts, they could run into some trouble. One of the things that has happened here in Buffalo since the Bills have now gained some notoriety and been and become a team that is now the favorite to win the Super Bowl and everybody's looking at them with high expectations. One of the things that people have done is start to look at, hey, how they do it. One of the things we've noticed that is different here in Buffalo than we've seen other past regimes do, they give a ton of guys. They, they turn their roster higher into the starters, the starting 22 than other teams have done in the past. They give one-year contracts to a lot of guys they bring in with the expectation that they're going to start for that one year. Uh, guys like in the past, like uh, John Feliciano, uh, guys of that ilk, Daryl Williams, uh, guys on the offensive line, um, and they even brought back uh, Her- uh, Jordan Phillips. Uh, they kept Sha- Shaq Lawson around. Uh, a lot of guys on one-year deals, even Josh Norman, the cornerback, they brought him in on a one-year deal. Tons of guys who got significant playing time and then after the one year either gave him a, a chance at a three-year deal for logical money or they let him become free agents. Uh, what's your take on that and how does that help or hurt your, the, stat, the, uh, the, the salary cap structure? Yeah, no, it's been fascinating. I think another piece of it is that they've built a strong culture and a player that play a place that players want to be. And in essence, it's enabled them to, you know, negotiate a lot of pay cuts, even for good players. A guy like Mitch Morse takes a pay cut, then gets another deal after the fact. You mentioned Daryl Williams, some of those players. Now you have Roger Saffold coming in, Daquan Jones on a one-year deal, Tim Settle on a one-year deal. You know, I think you do want to keep some players around, but as you mentioned, if you're going to go with that kind of stars and scrubs approach, not to call these guys scrubs, but if you're going to go that route, you have to be comfortable churning the bottom parts of your roster and turning over some of that depth. I think they've done a good job. I think it has helped them. You know, overall, there's, of course, some hits and misses, but that's kind of the game you have to play if you're going to have some really expensive players on the team. And then with respect to, you know, you, you already mentioned the Rams and how they draft well with their mid-round picks, and that's how they fill out their roster on cheap rookie deals. Looking at the Bills, how much will the Bills need to kind of follow that same path and rely on rookie contract players. You got some here in the pipeline now who are going to presumably take on larger roles. Gabe Davis is probably going to be a starter this year in year three of his rookie deal. James Cook could have a prominent role as a rookie right now. Same with Kyir Elam on the defensive side of the ball. How much more are they going to need to rely on those guys paying some of their top people the premiums that they are? Yeah, it's a huge part of it. And I would say, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on this show, I think Brandon Bean is one of the best GMs in football, but the one knock I probably would have against him early in his tenure is he traded up a lot, which gives up a lot of draft picks. And it was, look, Josh Allen trade up kind of nullifies all this, but, you know, the Cody Ford trade up was, you know, kind of a waste of draft picks. The Tremaine Edmonds trade up, you know, he's a solid starter, but maybe not the best use of resources and so on and so forth. So you kind of can't get away with that anymore. You have to add a decent amount of players that can fill a void that are at least starting caliber players in the NFL. You look at those Rams teams, the secondary and some of their receivers are, you know, mid round draft picks that at least are good enough to fill a hole. So I think they have to be smart and calculated with how they go about that. 
ensure they're making a decent amount of picks, take those dart throws so you get a couple contributors each year. And I think the last two classes, I think, have they done a better job of that than in the beginning of his tenure. One of the things that the Bills have been able to do is develop players who probably weren't ready to be pros or at least starters in the pros into really good players. Dane Jackson, who took over for Tredavious White, you know, Levi Wallace moves to the number one. Dane Jackson came in, and they, they maintained a number one defensive ranking with those two guys at corner. One was a seventh rounder, and the other was undrafted. And they, they held up. Uh, also, Taron Johnson, the slot corner for the Buffalo Bills, a guy who nobody knew about, was not highly talented, and he is a solid starter, got his sec- second contract. So is there a way to quantify or statistically look at which teams develop guys and how that affects their not just their draft capital or the draft record, but also their 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 salary cap going forward because they're able to develop guys, sign them a little earlier. These guys didn't expect to really get a second contract. Will take a lesser deal or a more a deal more in line, maybe not with an elite corner, but Taron Johnson got a nice deal, life changing deal. But he's not making twenty five million dollars a year. He's making like eight. So, you know, deals like that, he's massive, yeah. No, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, it's it's huge. And those early extensions for both the top end guys like a Tredavious White, like a Matt Milano, but also like a Taron Johnson in the slot and all these guys, when you get them to sign the early deal, like you said, still life-changing money, but not a top-of-market deal that completely destroys your salary cap. It's massive. It gets you some surplus value on that contract. You can then spend elsewhere. Like I said before, with you know, with Von Miller. Von Miller's on this roster because they were proactive with, you know, with Deion Dawkins and Tredavious White, all those players. So as to the specific the player development piece. Not something I've tried to quantify, but it is. I mean, there's a reason teams like Green Bay and all these franchises that are always good, it's just they, 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 they build a, a foundation and they develop the talent they have in their building. They never spend in free agency because they just trust their own process, and that's how you sustain success for a long period of time. NFL salary cap, a three-year analysis for all 32 NFL teams. Brad, it was a good read. We encourage you uh, folks to go check it out if you get a chance. Brad Spielberger from PFF. Thanks very much for the time. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Enjoy Brad. your summer. Appreciate your time, yeah, man. Thank Thanks. You All right. That's Brad Spielberger joining us here. And, uh, yeah, it is a comprehensive look. I mean, at all 32 teams on a number of different criteria. So take a look at it. I mean, they, look, they go from rookie contract players to projected effective cap space over the next three years to total prorated money including money that will be voided, and then the top 51 veteran player valuation. It really is a comprehensive look if you want to get deep in the weeds of who has positioned themselves well, not only for this year, but the next two years after that. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's cool stuff to look at because it, it, it gives you an idea, and you can kind of some – of some of the teams, you look at the rankings and um, – you know, and, uh, Healthy rank, health rank is called the cap health rank. The Bills are right in the middle of the pack or just above the middle, ranked at about 15. The number one team is Cincinnati, which um, doesn't surprise me. Um, the fact that they got to the Super Bowl last year surprises me more than anything. Um, Washington is right there. New England is right there. Indianapolis and Los Angeles Chargers are the top five in health healthy caps. The bottom – are who you might expect. Green Bay, Las Vegas, Houston, surprisingly, Philly, and New Orleans. And we, New Orleans has been in cap jail and will continue to be for our lifetime. But the, the, 
it's really interesting because you can get a feel for the overall what you know about the franchises from a financial standpoint. And uh, it was interesting. I, I, th- I thought it was really interesting. And you can tell how much thought he's put into it because where and it's like anything. You want to find out how a business is doing, and that includes a single or an, an individual NFL franchise, find out where they spend their money. Yeah. We have uh, some breaking news, as it appears that uh, there is a report out that Rob Gronkowski has informed Jordan Schultz, NFL reporter, that he is retiring. The future first ballot Hall of Famer, who won four Super Bowls, three with the Patriots, one with the Bucks, is officially going to hang it up and is not going back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll see if some other outlets uh, follow up and report the same, but... That report is out there now that Rob Gronkowski is not coming back. He is going to retire at age 33. So, does Gronk show up with Fitz on Amazon Prime? I might. Uh, I don't know oh what kind God, of vibe. I think it's a lock. I, I, I don't think it's a it's, – I don't know what the vibe is going to be on Amazon Prime, but you know with a guy like Fitz and, and certainly Gronk, it's going to be irreverent. Yep. Uh, and that, you know, that may – you know, everybody's got their own personality on the air, um, and they don't ask you to be somebody else. So Gronk's going to be himself. Yeah. So if if that's what they're looking for, him, hey, there you go. We told you last week that Dawson Knox and O.J. Howard were part of the tight end university effort to raise money for the boys and girls clubs across the country. And Dawson Knox put out a single tweet to Bills Mafia asking for their support. And in typical Bills Mafia fashion, they not only supported him, they supported his teammate, O.J. Howard, uh, with donations. And when the contest was over, Dawson Knox won by a wide margin by more than $16,000. He raised more money than the next finisher, which was Chig Okonkwo from uh, the Titans, the other tight end. Dawson Knox raised almost $57,000 in donations. And by being the winner of the contest, he gets a bonus $50,000. And that goes to the Buffalo Boys and Girls Clubs. So good job on you, Bills Mafia, for once again supporting your community in this way. Dawson Knox was blown away by the support he got just from one single tweet. <laughs> and they not only supported him, O.J. Howard finished third in the competition. Uh, never disappoint. $7,500. So good on disappoint. you, Bills Mafia, yet again, uh, because it does that turned into money coming back to our Buffalo community and, most importantly, to the youth here. So good job on you guys. Just wanted to tip our hat to you once again. Um, nicely done as uh, another charitable effort sees Bill's Mafia on top yeah. as usual. I mean, are we surprised? Not in the least. I am not. Um, I am not. The other thing I wanted to bring to Steve's attention was this. Uh, you may call this blasphemy, Steve. I know you've been open-minded. But the, the head people at FIFA, which is the nonprofit world organization for football, meaning... European football. Is that an acronym? What's Soccer. it stand for? I think it's the F- International Federation of Football Association. Um, so that's what What's the, the F for? F- the first F. Feder- Internet, it's International Federation. But 
they say Federation Internazionale de Football Association. You know what I mean? So it's oh. basically the translation is International Federation. So it's an Italian uh, football acronym. association. I don't know if it's Italian or Spanish or something. Anyway, okay. the point is, with the U.S. along with some help from Canada and Mexico hosting the 2026 World Cup coming up, it is the belief of the FIFA president, and this is a direct quote. By 2026, soccer will be the number one sport in this part of the world. This is said by FIFA President Gianni Infantino at their North American host cities announcement. Now, I will say this. He probably has no concept of the popularity of American football, which is still far and away number one. He may not. But right now, in a recent U.S. survey, football first at 70%. Basketball second at 61. Baseball third at 57, which surprised me. Soccer is now fourth at 49%. Where's hockey? It's an afterthought. Really? When I was, when I, good, probably about 20 years ago, I saw a survey like this, and soccer was in the single digits, sure. like 12%. The World Cup that came to the U.S. in 1994 is the main reason why Major League Soccer, which was only a two-year-old league at the time, survived. It created such a groundswell of of interest in the game that people started going out to support their local professional MLS team. And now you have a league that's got upwards of, I think it's 26, 28 teams now. And they're self-sustaining. As we mentioned, they just signed that Apple TV deal for $2.5 billion dollars on a 10-year deal, I don't think it's going to be the number one sport in this country by 2026. But I could see it leapfrogging baseball. It's 57% to 49% right now. Easily. Right? It could be in the top three after that World Cup. Easily. I I can't. Um, If you've never experienced the World Cup and the impact it has, you will in 2026. Yeah, it's... It's unbelievably different. It is a world event. And I'll say this, too. Our country is different now than it was then. Yes, it was. Um, There's much more diverse now, much more – there's much more overt diversion. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, You see it more. You see more nationalities, more neighborhoods, more um, groups of people who band together and watch their national – team play and all that stuff and certainly when you get a world cup game in well i remember i mean i was old when it came back and you know then 94 it was it was out of control yeah it was it was really wild and it was it was exciting and i'm telling you you i didn't i couldn't miss a u.s men's national team game yep it was something so you know four years from now that's going to be happening right at this time as a matter of fact because the World Cup typically takes place in the month of June and it usually wraps up around the 4th of July. They had to move it this year because it's too hot in Qatar. Why they put it there in the first place boggles the mind. But no, It's not that. No, it doesn't boggle the mind. Money. It boggles the checkbook. <laughs> That's what it is. But, but yeah. I, think, I think soccer could overtake baseball in it's, four years. And I say this, too. There's a whole generation of kids who were captured by the 1994 World Cup. 
and became player soccer players because of it. Parents love it. I mean, how many? I mean, every, all my kids. I never played soccer. Not a day mm-hmm. did I play soccer unless it was at a picnic. And now, all you know, all four of my kids, all five of my children, all five of our children, <laughs> right? You get where I'm coming from. <laughs> played organized soccer at higher levels. So, yeah, it was. It's grown exponentially just since in the last 25 years. Yeah. So cool, cool stuff to just see that. Um, didn't know if I would see it in my lifetime, but I think it's coming. And I think the World Cup being here in 2026 will only help yeah. um, in that effort. Break time for us, but we've got to get more of your comments from the tweet sheet. The Chiefs threw their number one wide out overboard. So did the Packers. Does that give the Bills a leg up because they kept Stephon Diggs in the fold even after they gave Josh Allen the giant money? You let us know at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. We're back in a flash here on One Bills Live. All right, welcome back. Discussing if the Bills have a leg up on the rest of their AFC counterparts, because unlike some others, they kept their top receiver and their franchise quarterback. Packers did not do that over in the NFC. Chiefs did not do that in the AFC. And some of the other teams did do similar. I mean, the Raiders essentially kept Derek Carr and added Devontae Adams. You can argue you got a franchise guy and a number one wide receiver out there in Oakland. Oakland. I just said Oakland. Wow. Las Vegas. That's a dollar. It's a dollar in the jar. Um. But we want to know if you think it has a leg up. We go back to the tweet sheet where Josh says, I think continuity and playmaking ability put Allen Diggs ahead of their AFC counterparts, more so than how much they're paid. They were premium before they were paid, which is why they were shown the money. Yeah, I'm not saying they don't deserve the money. They do. But some teams aren't willing to thread that needle in terms of paying up, quite literally. And, I, and sometimes uh, I think it's, it's got to, you got to see it as a philosophical decision. Uh, you can say, well, it's an individual. All these guys are different. Yeah, but you, it comes down to this. Does your GM want the guy, or does your head coach say, listen, we we got to have him? Um, well, if you have this – if you if you sign Devontae Adams, you got to cut Taron Johnson. That kind of decision, right? right? you got to cut – you know, if this, then that. If you, if you sign Tyreek Hill, you got to cut Taron Johnson and Matt Milano, you know, and – Football guys are going, ah, nah, you know what, we'll, we'll be okay without him. We'll just we'll make do with another guy, a different guy. Um, that's what you're talking about for some of these, uh, for the coaches and the football side of it. Financially, as we've seen, if you've got the money, you can do the gymnastics to fit, the, fit in the contract. And the Bills have been able to do that. Um, that's right. While, as you've pointed out, giving fair – if not competitive contracts to players that might not necessarily be at premium positions like Mitch Morse or like Matt Milano. So they've not only been able to keep the premium guys, they've been able to keep important role players happy as well. Jim on the tweet sheet says leg up or leg down. Maybe the other teams see the going trend and got out before it cost them players like it will the bills. Having a high-priced quarterback and wide receiver, you can't pay others. Fear we will find that out next year in the cases of Knox and Poyer. 
The rubber is going to meet the road on Dawson Knox, Tremaine Edmonds, Jordan Poyer, and not far off from that, you're only a year removed from Gabriel Davis mm-hmm. and Ed Oliver. So, right. yeah, there are decisions to be made here, and the decision is do you pay one guy at the expense of lopping off three others to accommodate a giant contract? Right. The Rams, more often than not, say yes to that. Who else will do the same? Right. It comes down to there's going to be a little of this happening. Some of these situations, these guys, they're going to take care of themselves. They're going to play their way off the roster, or they're going to play their way into an extension, or they will be a guy that says, like Matt Milano, I could probably make 15% more on my contract if I leave, but I'll take this deal because I want to stay. Because I know here I'm going to have the best career I can possibly have and I'm going to be the best guy I can be on the field. Yep. And that extra 15, maybe even 20, 25% of the contract from 8 million to 10 million, maybe, uh, is not worth it to me not to be happy in the last five, six, seven, ten years of my career. So I'm going to stay here. They'll get a couple of those guys like they already have. Um, They'll get guys who will say, I want to see what I'm worth. I got to know. I got to know. And he won't sign any deal they give him. He wants to go. so it, some of this will take care of itself because the players do have a say in it. But all those decisions are going to have to be made because they're fast approaching. And you're right. All those guys are near and dear to us. Yeah. But um, it's a finite universe. We mentioned earlier that Rob Gronkowski reportedly was going to announce his retirement. That, in fact, has happened. He just uh, released a statement via his Twitter handle. And here is his statement. In college, I was asked to write about a dream job opportunity that I wanted to pursue and where the location would be. Every time I had to write about my future, no matter what, I picked being a professional football player. For that assignment, though, we had to pick the location. So I wrote that I wanted to play in Tampa for the Bucks for many reasons, the sunny weather being number one. Completely forgot about writing this report until two years ago when I had the opportunity to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And let me tell you, the journey in Tampa over the last two years is blown away what I originally wrote about in college big time. And for this, I want to thank the whole entire First Class Bucks organization for an amazing ride, trusting me to come back to play and help build a championship team. I will now be going back into my retirement home, walking away from football again with my head held high, knowing I gave it everything I had, good or bad, every time I stepped out on the field. The friendships and relationships I have made will last forever, and I appreciate every single one of my teammates and coaches for giving everything they had as well. From retirement back to football and winning another championship and now back to chilling out, thank you to all Bucks fans, the crew. Without you guys, none of this is possible. All of you brought it every game, and thanks for all you do. Cheers to what next? Maybe sailing the seas. Arg. Like um, he's a pirate or something. Right. Arg. Um. No mention of the Patriots. That's just what I thought. <laughs> I mean, that is conspicuous by the fact that he's like oh, he never played for them. So delicious. He won four Super Bowls with the Patriots, and not so much as a hey, thanks, guys. Well, great. three with them, one with the Bucks. Three with them. Yeah, three with the pa- three World Championships with the Patriots, and not so much as a hey, you know what? I enjoyed my time in New England, but it was great in Tampa Bay as well. That, none of that. Yeah. First, I, I don't want to read too much in it because the guy, you know, the guys, it's. He's retiring. No, you know who cares? He's just writing it, getting it. So he has to say something. But Robert Kraft is prickly about it, though. You, he, you don't think? You don't think he's not? How could he not be? He, I, I mean, look, you could say what you want about Robert Kraft. 
The guy more often than not takes care of his players. Oh, he loves his players. Yeah. He yes, absolutely. And he and I have had nothing but positive uh positive interchanges with the guy. And there's a number of people he who around the league uh he's well respected and well liked. He's a likable person, personable and all that. Uh but to at, not even get a mention in Gronk's retirement address. Yeah. First ballot Hall of Famer? Yeah. Probably, right? Yeah. Four titles, dynamic weapon. Difference. He's a difference maker. Yeah. He's a difference maker, no question. Prime Video has officially announced former NFL quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick officially will join its NFL pregame, halftime, and postgame coverage this coming season for Thursday night football. Giddy up. There you go. Fitz is in. He will be teamed with Tony Gonzalez and Richard Sherman for each Thursday night football game as a studio analyst. And on Twitter, Amazon tweeted an icon or a logo for their Thursday night football, and it includes an outline or a silhouette, if you will, of Fitz's beard. Very nice. He's going to be front and center, man. He should be. He's Yeah, he's got the, the presence and the chops to pull that off. Um, yeah, for sure. I just in this pack before we say goodbye to it, you know, the most career receiving touchdowns in NFL history and playoff history, NFL playoff history. Who's got the most receiving touchdowns? You'll know. It's easy. It's Jerry Rice. He's got 22. Yeah. Second place, Rob Gronkowski. Our MSG viewers are looking at the Thursday night football logo slash icon that was very nice put out on their Twitter handle. It's got Fitz's beard there, which is kind of neat. And it's got that's kind of a silhouette of his like when his when he has his hair like pulled back like a lion's mane. Yeah, yeah, fits. Now, do I? Well, now here's the do next I question. Get it? I think I have it, but I got to get a Prime Video subscription now, right? Well, if you have Amazon Prime delivery service, you should already have access to it. Just right. need to download the app on your television. Do I have to pay for that, though? No, it's or am not I already additional. Paying? Am I already paying for that? The only thing that? you would pay additionally is if you had some movie on, you know, select a release, you might have to pay three ninety nine. dollars Like to get it early or, or something? Yeah, eleven ninety nine or something. Something like that. But, no, it should not be extra. It should be part of your Amazon Prime Thank pack. Thank you so much, Mr. Brown. I appreciate, your, to help cust- you. your, appreciate your customer service. Thanks very much. That's I, right. I got to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm not getting any... Uh, <laughs> residuals from that that's for sure but as we have to take a break here but when we come back we are going to examine this question will ryan fitzpatrick be a bigger success as a football tv studio analyst than he was as a player we'll explore that when we return here on one bills live presented by collider health it's buffalo bills radio One last Gronk note in the wake of his announcement that he's retiring, his agent Drew Rosenhaus texted the following to national reporters, quote, it wouldn't surprise me if Tom Brady calls him during the season to come back and Rob answers the call. This is just my opinion, but I wouldn't be surprised if Rob comes back during the season or next season. Oh, Drew Rosenhaus. Yeah. Come on with that. Right. Don't need to be yo-yoed around by Gronk. We already got yo-yoed by Brady. If you think, and you said this as soon as you heard it, that he'd be, teamed up with Fitz on Amazon. 
Yeah, they already have the booth, though. But they already got uh, Tony Gonzalez and Richard Sherman are going to be in that booth, too. Those are two pretty good players. I know uh, Richard Sherman will have some stuff to say. He's really articulate. So much, you wonder if the other two will have anything or a chance to say. I'm I'm sure – yeah, I'm sure they will. I mean, they're they're both all three of those guys. Well, I just mean you got to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> all three of those guys have a lot of intelligence and some opinions, and they're going to be able to hold their own under those circumstances. It'll be interesting to see how they're produced and what they're directed to do. Does Fitz have a more successful career as an analyst than he did as a player? Long career as a player, never a playoff appearance. Is he more successful as a broadcaster? By what measure of a broadcaster? He, you mean call a Super Bowl? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe eventually getting into a chair and calling games and doing Super th- Bowls. That, and... That's a step down from the studio host of the network broadcast. Well, at least you get to the playoffs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm just that joshing. That is so low. I'm just joshing. No, he, um, he's going to be great. He's going to be, I think he I'll could tell be you even what, better in the booth than he yes, was on the field. He will be at least as good of, of an analyst as, he, is a, as a, yeah. he was as a player. Maybe he may be a, a Madden-like figure as yeah. well, one of those guys. Should be. He, uh, he, he has a chance in that, in that realm to be a home run for Amazon. No question about it. Should be interesting. And the Bills have a Thursday night game on their schedule, right? Don't they have an Amazon game? I think so. First game of the season is a Thursday night game. Yeah, but that's on NBC. And then then they have Thanksgiving. Now we're out of time. We'll have to figure that out and let you know tomorrow. Uh, Brian Baldinger, (laughs) NFL Network, on the show tomorrow, as well as ESPN Jets reporter Rich Samini. As we talk a little AFC East with him tomorrow, we'll see you at 1.